Well, 42 days. 42 days until Easter. And so each of us as a church, what we have said is, over the course of this year, we want to lead someone close to us, closer to Jesus. And the first third of this year, we want to take the opportunities we head toward Easter, maybe to make an invite to someone or share Christ with them. And so all of us have been praying towards who is that one that we want to help lead closer to Christ. And so as, as you continue to seek the Lord, to lead someone close to you, closer to Jesus, one, if you have stories, like stories that we've been hearing from people, continue to share those. Share those with people around you. Because there's someone around you who's been praying for someone that they're not seeing any movement. And your story just might be the catalyst for them to continue to pursue the Lord in that relationship with the person that they're seeking to help lead closer to Christ. So continue to share your story, share the story of others within the FBG family because we want to continue to see the Lord work in incredible ways. Now last week, um, we're going to continue in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your words, you can start turning there. We're in Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to start reading in verse 24. But last week we saw the warnings of the Lord and how the warnings, how God gives a warning and his warnings are always a sign of his faithfulness, right? He warns us away. It's God's goodness and faithfulness. It's one of the means by which God helps keep us in the faith is he issues warnings. And those warnings give us direction when we're starting to wander away so that we might come back and pursue the Lord. One of the other means by which we stay in the faith is through other believers. There's other believers who help lead us toward Christ and help bring opportunities for us to stay in the faith. And, and there's no really greater example than Paul. And as Paul does that in Colossians, as he does that in this book and does it in other places, it is a reminder to us that God can use any one of us to be an encouragement to lead someone closer to Christ. And this morning what we want to see is the means by which Paul was doing that so that you and I can learn how we can lead others closer to Christ. So if you've got your words, we're going to begin in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And just a reminder from last week, verse 23, it's going to be important today. Paul says that he is a servant of the gospel. So right before he gets into the passage we're going to read today, he talks about being a servant of the gospel. So I want you to remember that. Okay, verse 24 and following. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So if you go back to verse 24, look at how it starts. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Those aren't usually two words you put together. Rejoice and suffering. And we think that it sounds odd to put those things together. But when we really think about it, we, we can all give examples of where we found rejoicing in suffering or hardship of some sort. 
All you have to do is ask a mom if she found rejoicing and suffering for the sake of her kids. All I have to do is talk to family, mothers and fathers and grandparents, and ask them, have you ever found rejoicing and suffering and finding hardship on this behalf of your family? And every parent would say, absolutely. Absolutely. We, every parent would say, if, if I can suffer or endure hardship so that my kid walks closer with Christ, I will do it. Because the reward of that is worth it. We find things in our life that are worth the suffering. And every parent knows that. Every grandparent knows it. I love talking to parents and grandparents in our church and hearing your stories of how you're leading your grandkids and your kids closer to Christ because every time there's an element of suffering and and enduring trial or enduring some kind of difficulty, but you do it with a smile because you see the end goal is worth it. So the question here is, is with Paul, what is the suffering that he's rejoicing in? And look at the end of that phrase, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. It's for them. These are back to family words. Families understand how to suffer for each other and find rejoicing in the midst of it. Now there's different types of suffering in there. There's there's an active suffering, which is the reality that as we live in this world that is opposed to Christ, we will experience the difficulties that come because we are Christ's children. So think about it, when Christ lived on the earth, what happened? He, his afflictions, he was afflicted for our sake. He was rejected by the world, he was rejected by culture. Those pains and difficulties came against him because the world is opposed to him. And what he's saying in that next part of that verse, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. What he's not saying is that somehow Christ's sacrifice was not enough and something else had to be added to it. Christ's sacrifice was enough for our forgiveness. But what is lacking or what is coming to the church in this verse is that since now that Christ is gone, he is in heaven, he's at the right hand of the throne of God, what is happening now is we, the church, is now the target of the aggression of the world. We now experience the affliction as believers that Christ experienced when he was here. Christ said, he told us that would happen. He said, do not be surprised when the world hates you the way that it hated me, because if you are mine, it will hate you. And so these afflictions that Paul is talking about right here, completing those, that is talking about the the active, Paul is moving in to following Christ, and because he does that, there will be afflictions from the world. And since Christ was the target, we, as the body of Christ, now are the target of the world. The world will hate Christ in you. And that's what Paul's talking about. And then there's passive suffering. This is the suffering that we all experience that just comes from being in a world that's broken. Sickness, disease, famine, violence, old age, All these things that happen, tragedy, these things that happen simply because we exist in a world that's broken. Now every one of us in this room would say that you have experienced some measure of suffering. Some of it active because you've claimed the name of Christ, some of it passive 
because we simply exist in this world. But the, the great picture here is that every one of us has, has experienced suffering. I go around the room and the stories of suffering would be immense. And see, what Paul is talking about here specifically is enduring suffering for them so that he might help lead them closer to Christ. That is intentionally done so they might walk closer with Christ. What we want to do is we want to run away from suffering. Right? That makes the most sense. That's the most logical. But what we miss is the reality that we are all, no matter what path we choose, every one of us will endure suffering. And we have a choice within that suffering that we endure what we're going to do with the suffering that comes. Here's, here's the picture. If, if you had any doubt that every person suffers, which I don't think anybody does, but if you did, go spend a few hours in an assisted living facility. One of the things I love to do at times is to go into an assisted living facility and just begin to speak to people who are there. And you'll find that some people that you talk to, they're the most joyful people you've ever met. And you go, I could sit for hours and just hear their stories and just gain their wisdom and glean from them. And there's others that when you talk to them, you go, I've been around them about 30 seconds and I'm done. They're just grumpy. And you begin to wonder and you begin to go, I wonder if their suffering was greater than the person that's cheerful. And then as you hear their stories, you begin to go, you know what? That's not necessarily the case. The suffering that was endured is not indicative of the outcome of how each person is living. Sometimes a person who's the most joyful and excited and cheerful endured the most hardship. And sometimes the person who's the most grumpy didn't endure anything compared to that person. What is happening in that moment? There's something that this person was able to see and do that led them through the suffering more than the person who's over here and grumpy. See, for us, knowing that suffering will come and we'll all endure it, the active and the passive, what Paul was talking about was being a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church. Verse 25 at the beginning says, I become its servant. He's talking about the church. So we know Paul says being a servant of the gospel and being a servant of the church is worth whatever suffering may come. Let me give you a picture of that. Chad Warren, our connections pastor, and I, um, we coach our son's baseball teams. We've done it for a few years, and this year we've got some 11 and 12-year-old boys. And most of the time with teams, you allow the kids to choose uh, the team name. That doesn't happen with our teams. We pick it. Well, usually Chad picks it. Um, and the reason he picks it is because it's highly intentional. Every team name that's chosen, there's a reason why, and it helps us coach the kids towards a particular direction. So this year, we gathered the boys together before the first practice, and Chad announced to us that we're, our team this year is going to be the bison. The bison. All right. We'll be the bison. And what we begin to learn about bison is that bison are very different from cattle. So when a storm is coming, cattle, what do they do? They run away. They try to run from the storm. 
But bison, bison turn and head straight for the storm. They charge into the storm. There's something about what bison see that they go right into the storm on purpose. The storm that's coming. See, here's what we, we tend to think. We tend to be more like cattle and think I can outrun the storm. What the cattle do is they're running and the storm's coming and the storm's moving faster than they are and they end up staying in the storm longer. They end up enduring the difficulties of the storm longer and they don't outrun it even though they thought they could. A bison sees a storm coming and runs to it and guess what happens? They endure the storm storm goes past them and they are on the back side of the storm. For you and I, we have to get past the illusion that somehow we can avoid the suffering of this world and know that suffering is going to come and we have a choice of how we're going to endure that suffering and what we're going to do with it. And you know what Paul's really saying in this passage? He's saying because of the gospel and because of the sake of the church, I will run into the storm not away from it, because it is worth it for you to know Christ and for you to stay in the faith and for you to walk with Christ. You feel that way? I know plenty of people that don't. It says, when I see someone who I want to help lead closer to Christ, that I'm going to choose to run that direction, run into it, whatever the consequences may come, whatever the storm may look like, I'm going to run into it so that they might have a chance to know Christ. talking about this suffering for the sake of others and in effect running into that storm and he's become a servant of it and a servant of the church so for you and I as we look at the sufferings around us we need to know the question is not whether or not we will suffer the real question is what path am I going to choose that brings the greatest reward and the greatest rejoicing. Because every path has suffering. You, we all know that, right? You, there is some difficulty in everything. You could talk about sports. I want to be a great athlete. Well, guess what happens? In order to train to be an athlete, you've got to endure the pain. Or you want your business to work. Well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have pain enduring in that business before it thrives. There is sacrifice that happens there. Every path we choose, whether in pursuing Christ or running away from Christ, there is difficulty. I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. See verse 13 and 14. It says, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. You know, see what Peter just said, right? Rejoice in your suffering. Why? So that you may rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. There is a coming day that the reward of that suffering will be worth every bit of it. Can we say that about the paths we choose to pursue the things of the world, that there will be a great reward at the end of that? There may be temporary rewards, but those temporary rewards are not going to last. There's only brokenness when we choose that path. 
But what the Lord has told us is choosing the path of running into the storm for the sake of others to know Christ and walk with Christ, there is a great reward and rejoicing on the other side of that. It is the only path that has the reward and rejoicing along with that suffering. Every other path has the suffering without the reward. So the question is, which path will you choose? The path that leads to the reward and rejoicing or the path that leads, like the cattle, to try to outrun it and try to avoid it and to somehow find something that might be satisfying only to find the storm stays with us. And we find no reward on the other side. Notice verse 15 in 1 Peter 4. None of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Don't suffer for, for the things that are wrong. You're going to suffer, but don't suffer because of your sin. Allow whatever suffering may come to come because you are under the banner of Jesus Christ. See, he's saying you're going to suffer either way. Don't choose the suffering that comes along with your sin. Choose the suffering that comes with carrying the banner of Christ so others might know him. It's two different types of suffering. One has reward and rejoicing. One has only emptiness. So go back to Colossians chapter 1. In verse 25, Paul says, I become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Here it is. There is this mystery. How do we, what is it, why is it worth Why is it worth it to Paul? Why is it worth it to us to endure suffering for the sake of others to walk with Christ? The great mystery, the great mystery of the Lord is the reason. See, God, from the beginning of creation, he's he's held this secret, this great secret. I don't know about you, but when I hear secret, the juicier the secret, the more you're like, ooh, I want to know that one. This is the greatest held secret in all of creation. What do we know about this secret or this mystery? Hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What do we know? Verse 27, God wanted to make known. You know what we know? That God wanted to make this mystery known. He wanted it to be known. He didn't hold it back simply to hold it back. He held it back for reason, and there's an intent that it would be known. In chapter 1, verse 9, it talks about um, Paul's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You want to know what, the knowledge, what God's will is? Verse 27 is that this mystery would be known and that you would know it. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles. Well, why does it matter that it be known among the Gentiles? The Gentiles at this point, right, the Gentiles, they had not been a part of the covenant that God had given to his people ages and ages before. The belief was that the Gentiles were left out. They were not a part of it. What God is saying is the Gentiles, every single person has opportunity to know this mystery and this secret. There's nobody that's left out. This would blow their minds before this point. That God was saying, I have... It is my will to make my secret known. It is my will that every person has opportunity to experience and know this hidden mystery. 
What else does he say about it? That it's the glorious, that God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. This is the richest mystery in all of creation. And he wanted it known. He wanted everyone to experience the riches of it. So what is it? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? What is the secret? It is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Why would Paul do what he does? Because Christ is in him. Here's the thing. Just two weeks ago, we talked about the the trail of awe. When we looked at the early part of chapter 1 or part of chapter 1, and saw who Christ is, and we traveled the trail of all, and we begin to learn who Jesus is, and what this great mystery is, not only that we can know who he is, but that Christ can be in us. The mystery is that Christ is in you. For anyone who would believe and trust in the work of Jesus, that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for all of our sin. If we would believe and trust in him, we would be made right with God and we would have Christ in us. That we would know that on the trail of all, the one that we have come to see who he is, that we can now experience him and have him in us. That is the hope. Why would Paul endure? Why would he be a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church and endure suffering so that he might share this great mystery with all so they might experience the hope of glory, Christ in them. The question is, is that compelling enough to you? Are you compelled by that reality of Christ in you and in someone else? It goes on to say, we proclaim him Here's the reality. This mystery is no longer meant to be kept a mystery. It is meant to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. You are in your workspace. You are living in your home next to your neighbors. You are where you are in the family you're in so that you might proclaim this mystery to everyone around you. See, my wife, Michelle, her birthday was last week. And we were in one room um, about to open presents, and, and uh, the presents were all in another room, and one of the things my wife had wanted were, was some sunglasses, and so uh, we t- asked Georgia, our three-year-old, I said, Georgia, can you go get your mom's small present from the other room? She hops up as excited as she can be and starts to run out of the room and said, okay, I'll go get her sunglasses. <laughs> and the other three kids just groaned, oh. And she runs out, she gets the present, she runs back in the room, you hear the pitter-patter, pitter-patter, and she jumps up there next to her mom, and she goes, Mommy, here are your sunglasses. She had a mystery, and it was too good to keep to herself. She couldn't hold it in. We talk about it around our house, that we don't keep secrets, we have surprises. Right? There are some things that are meant to be held until the right time, and then they're meant to be proclaimed. And that's what God was doing, was he held it for the right time, and then through Christ is proclaiming the great mystery that Christ can be in you, and that we are all called to proclaim that truth to the people that God's put around us. You and me. What we need are more proclaimers. Because there are people that don't know the mystery that is the hope of all glory. 
that Jesus Christ can be in them. And Paul said, it's worth everything to me. Philippians 1.21, why would Paul go into the storm? Philippians 1.21 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul goes on to say, it is better for me to go be with the Lord, but for your sake I will go on living here. What he just said was, look, it's best for me. I will, I will be done with suffering when I go be with Christ. But right now, I'm going to run intentionally into the storm so you might know Christ. And I'll take whatever suffering comes so that you know Christ. Is that our heartbeat? Are we ready to proclaim him? It says, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This is back to warnings. And teaching others with all wisdom. Well, where does all wisdom come from? All you got to do is skip down a couple verses to chapter 2, verse 3. It's talking about Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So how do we warn and teach everyone with all wisdom? We stay close to Christ. And we allow Christ in us to work. We simply pursue Christ. He is the wisdom, not us. And, how, and we warn and teach others so that they might grow closer to Christ. You want to find an area of suffering and difficulty? Try to step into somebody else's life when they're walking away from the things of the Lord and try to gently and lovingly walk them back with a warning toward Christ. You don't usually get a bear hug and a thanks for that one. Right, one of the aspects of, of being a pastor at times is we step in to people's lives and, and provide warnings hopefully out of the same kindness that Christ used so that we might draw people back toward what is right and true and good. And when you step into that space, frequently there is difficulty involved. It's one of the reasons why small groups are so important. That if you're in a small group and you're walking closely with one another, you get a chance to see people love you well, love your family well. You get a chance to experience who they are and to love their family so that when the time comes when either you need to warn them or they need to warn you so that you stay in the faith, you are ready to trust them. But when you're not in a group of people that are walking together in close community and someone comes to warn you of what they see happening in your life, guess what we do? Guess what I do? I bow up. The guys in my home group and the, the pastors on this staff, the people that are closest to me, if they give me a warning, I am much more ready to receive it because I've seen them love me and love my family. Somebody that doesn't know me just comes up and begins to warn me, even if they're right, my first inclination is to bow up. That's why walking in community is so important, so that we can warn and teach everyone with all wisdom. It doesn't mean we have to know everything. It means we simply know Christ who is all wisdom and has all wisdom and we simply point people to him. You don't have to have all the answers. You just simply need to know the mystery and you know the mystery which is Christ in you. So proclaim it. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right, this goal, so we may present everyone mature in Christ. This whole series we're talking about becoming a ready bride. Why don't we talk about that imagery of a ready bride? Because Jesus talks about the church as a ready bride for his return. That the church, what we're supposed to be doing is getting ready for Christ's return. And so when we talk about presenting everyone mature, what we're talking about is presenting the church ready as a ready bride for the return of Christ. Have you ever watched a bride get ready on her wedding day? 
It takes an army to make that happen. I love doing weddings because I'll laugh the, the groomsmen and the groom and they're over here in some little room and they show up 15 minutes before they're supposed to be there and they throw their tuxes on and they do their kind of deal and the bride has had a swarm of people around her all day. I'm not even sure you can see her up until the moment that she's going to walk down this aisle because they are getting her ready for that moment. Can you imagine if... If I was standing here and the groom was right there and you were all here for a wedding and that door opened and I asked you to stand and you all turned and looked and there was a bride that started to come down the, the aisle and you looked at her and you go, she's not ready. She's in her blue jeans and got holes in them. Her hair's halfway done. You would never forget that wedding. You would also wonder how much she was committed to that marriage. Does she really want to get married? If we're called to be a ready bride, the last thing we want to do is present people not ready for Christ. I'm sorry, I didn't have time to tell them about, what you, about the great mystery, which is Christ. I missed preparing them. Or I was afraid of what might happen and what someone might say or what might happen to me or the results of what may come if I represented Christ. And instead we, we say what we're doing is leaving a bride unprepared for the return of Christ. And what Paul is saying is I give everything so the bride might be ready for Christ's return. Paul was not an anomaly same one that was in Paul is in you. It was not something special about Paul. It was something special about Jesus. And that same Christ is in you. And we have opportunity to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church and find great reward on the other side so that we might all move more toward Christ and help others move more toward Christ. Look at how this section ends. Verse 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Paul is exerting all of his efforts, all of his energies to this end because he knows if I go into this storm, the return is much better than any other storm I could go into. And make no mistakes, I'll go into storms. And I will labor for this, striving with his strength He's not laboring with his strength. He's not sitting here saying, well, I'm, maybe I'm going to do the best that I can. No, none of us face the suffering that comes in our own strength for the sake of other people. There was a time when I was in college that uh, there was a song from Stephen Curse Chapman called Bring It On. And in my youth, there was an element of that that it says, bring it on, let the lightning flash, let the storm winds blow, let the hard rain come. Bring it on. And the whole point was, whatever needs to happen so that we may walk with Christ, bring it on so that we may grow closer to Christ. And I have people caution, are you sure you want to wish for that? As if somehow I would make it happen? And what I've learned as I've gotten older is that there is still a reality to that. What Paul is saying is, I bring on whatever may come so that others may walk closer with Christ. Now is that, is he rejoicing in that by saying, I simply want to suffer? No. What we're saying is, every person 
who has an opportunity to grow closer with Christ is worth whatever difficulty I face for them to move toward Christ. And some of us are really going to have to wrestle with that. Because we may not, you may not believe that. But what the word says very clearly is that this is the only direction of rejoicing and reward in suffering. I've learned as I've gotten older, the pain does not get smaller in suffering. Pain gets greater. As I think through the pain that we have walked through as a family and the difficulty, I don't say those words or I don't take this passage lightly and think somehow we can just flippantly turn on a switch and go, sure, let's go frolicking into suffering. Woohoo! Look at it with a sober mind that says, we know pain is difficult and suffering is hard. And in many ways it gets harder. But that doesn't diminish the value of the return on other people moving toward Christ. It will always be worth it. Romans 8, 18, when Paul is speaking, says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time to not be worth the glory that is to come. What did he, what did he just say there? Paul just said that whatever sufferings I endure in this life, it is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What he's not doing, he's not diminishing the suffering. He's not saying this is just small. Paul has suffered a lot. He knows what suffering means. What he's saying is he's not diminishing the suffering, he's maximizing the glory. And those are two different things. So that every time we face the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the heartache, as, as much as it gets to the top of our head and we go, I can't face another moment of this. Paul gave us a reminder that just as you've reached the very top of what you believe can be endured, remember, there's coming a day where that's not even going to be a blip on the radar compared to the glory that God is going to show us. I can't even fathom that but it's true. And so we cling to the hope of glory that is Christ in you so that we might be like Paul, run into the storm for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church so others might know him and others might move towards him. And you and I have that choice to make this week. What path will we choose? Seemingly the path of least resistance, which is simply not a path of least resistance, or the path with great purpose that has rejoicing and reward on the other side in the strength of Christ so that we might be a ready bride for the return of Christ.